Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to the Brisbane Property Podcast. Uh, today, we've got a, a guest with us, and I welcome Mike Mortlock, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveyors. So, uh, Mike and Melinda... We'll probably have a lot of fun today talking data and stats. They're the data stats nerds um, compared to myself who brings things down to earth. So um, welcome both. Yeah, welcome, Mike. Um, I know it's a great time to have you on our podcast. And um, I know I've been invited as a guest on your own podcast as well. And given that we are at tax time being the end of the financial year, I thought it was perfect timing to discuss everything depreciation. And I know how much you love talking about it. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for, for having me on. Certainly tax time is our, our Super Bowl. And uh, I would definitely recommend people go and uh, check out my interview with yourself. You're episode 67 on the Kid for Growth podcast. I've just found that. Um, and yeah, Scott, we need someone to bring us down to earth. I mean, Melinda's a, a proper academic, much cleverer than, than I am. But in, when it comes to tax depreciation, I do get like to get down in the weeds, but we'll, we'll try and keep it high level. All right. Well, look, I'll uh, I'll ask some simple things just so the um, people listening can can understand those sort types of things. But <laughs> Mike, can you can you tell us what exactly is depreciation? Is it a depreciation schedule, and how does it does it improve an investor's cash flow? Yeah, a depreciation schedule is essentially a report. I joked to someone the other day that I'm in the PDF business because at the end, our product is a PDF. Um, and, and that PDF essentially just shows the depreciation deductions that you can claim on your investment property each financial year for 40 years. And the, the benefit of that is those deductions come off your taxable income. So what are your whatever your deductions are in a financial year, that reduces your taxable income in the eyes of the tax office by that amount. And essentially, it's just an allowance for the wear and tear of your investment property. So as you're renting out a property, things wear out over time and the government gives you an allowance to claim deductions on that wear and tear. So um, it relates to the building component, is that right? Not the land component? Yeah, that's right. So when, when people get a depreciation schedule, often they see the total depreciation and they ask the question, well, why doesn't that match my purchase price? And it's a good question because it highlights the difference between, say, a market value and a depreciation schedule. So the, the depreciation schedule is only based on the improvements to the property. So that's the, the nuts and bolts components of the building structure and then the fixtures and fittings inside. The schedule shows the residual value of the deduction in the property. So if the property is 10 years old, it will it will show 10 years of, of lost deductions. So you're only looking at the remainder. And yes, the land is the big component that's not depreciable. So a purchase price is made up of the land and the building. And then of course, you've got other little funny things like market premiums and agents fees and all sorts of things in there. Yeah. And I think that the big um, takeaway there is that the the value of the building, um, you actually write off the value of the building over time, whereas the land part of the asset that you're purchasing is the part that appreciates or goes up in value over a period of time. So, you know, for investors that um, may discover some depreciation benefits in an asset, it's never the reason to purchase the asset in the first place. Would you agree with that assessment, Mike? I would very, very strongly agree. 
even though I love tax depreciation, it's a weird thing to admit, but here we are on record. Even though I love tax depreciation, I would certainly never invest for the deductions. And unfortunately, people still ask me, Mike, what sort of property should I buy to get the maximum deductions? And when I sort of rattle off some of the components of it, like say a common area cinema and four pools and 18 gyms, they sort of come back to me and say, well, that sounds like a terrible investment. And and it and it probably is right. The strata fees would would make your hair turn on its end, uh, and it's unlikely to go up in value because there's no scarcity to it. So just because it has good deductions doesn't mean that's the reason to invest. It's just a bonus to the investment, and whether the property goes up in value or not is much more important than the tax deductions you're going to get along the way. So, Mike, if if you're talking then types of properties. What's the what would be the difference then for the depreciation side of it between new and established properties? So a brand new property is quite different to an established property given the legislation changes that came out in May 2017. And and they basically mean that you can only claim plant and equipment deductions if you either install the asset yourself. So let's say you put new carpet into an old property, you can claim the carpet or you buy a brand new property with brand new carpet. So the plant and equipment items are generally the loose assets within the property. So carpets, blinds, ovens, cooktops, hot water systems, these are all sort of the plant and equipment items. And you can only claim them if you're buying it brand new, or as I say, putting it in. Whereas if you buy a property that's a year old or 20 years old or 50 years old, there's only going to be claim on either the original building structure if it qualifies or the construction improvements like a bathroom or kitchen renovation. So that's probably the key difference. Yeah, so it's definitely um, something that investors need to keep in mind. You know, obviously chasing, depending on what their investment structure or strategy is, it's really important to understand that tax depreciation is only one part of an overall investment strategy. And, um, you know, if they're buying for long-term wealth creation, capital growth is probably something that they need to focus on more so than the benefits that um, are going to be provided through depreciation. But if I was to unpack, for example, brand new versus established, and I know that we recorded a podcast episode on the home builder uh, stimulus packages just recently to to unpack some of the risks associated with buying brand new. But um, this is where I'll get a bit uh, nerdy as well, Mike, and um, talk about some numbers in Brisbane just for the relevance of our audience. So, for example, with a house, North Lakes is a new housing estate that was established a number of years ago. If we look at the capital growth in North Lakes over the last 10 years, we've had 9.5% capital growth over a 10-year period, which is Uh, 0.95% per annum. Now, obviously, my tax depreciation benefits on those brand new properties would be very high. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I've done quite a few in in that area for investors. But um, you're about to, I'm sure, enlighten us as to why the, the capital growth is maybe something we need to look at a bit more. Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, if we look at a typical $500,000 purchase price in that estate, um, over the last 10 years, the value of that property would have appreciated just $47,500 over a 10-year period, which is not much at all compared with whatever the tax depreciation benefits might be. Just in round numbers, Mike, what would the tax depreciation benefits on be on a typical brand new um, sort of three or four bedroom home here in Queensland? 
So in the first full year, you'd probably be looking somewhere around the eleven or twelve thousand dollar mark, and in your time frame of of ten years, you 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 might be sort of looking at an average of around about seven or eight thousand dollars a year, roughly. So therefore, the tax depreciation benefits or the amount that you're writing off in the value of the asset, um, it's probably comparable to the the capital growth rate. Whereas really, what you're wanting to target is a a suburb that will have superior capital growth so that you're not actually writing off the value of your asset over time. But let's have a look at another suburb here in Brisbane, Springfield, for example, another new housing estate that's been established um, where there's been a lot of new supply. Over the last 10 years, it's had 16.6% 10-year growth, which is an average of 1.66% per annum. And I think the, the relevance here is that, you know, Tax depreciation is definitely an effective part of an overall investment strategy, but it shouldn't be the one thing that people, you know, focus on purely um, for their investment strategy because other properties in Brisbane over the same, you know, 10-year period have had, you know, three upward of 4 or 5%. But if we use the median value for Brisbane suburbs, um, the growth over the last 10 years, which has been a bit sub par, to be honest, comparable with uh, Sydney and Melbourne, but we've had 3.5% per annum median growth in all suburbs. Um, And over a $500,000 property, that's $175,000 worth of capital appreciation. So a big difference when we're looking at, um, you know, the amount that a property can grow um, in those sorts of locations. Now, in terms of product type, units and houses, Mike, what gives us better depreciation benefits? Yeah, I mean, It'd be great to say one or the other. It depends. That's an annoying thing to say, doesn't it? It depends on the type of of unit or house. But typically a unit gives you better deductions than a house, certainly if it's a brand new house versus a brand new unit, unless it's a tiny little studio apartment uh, and we're talking about a big house, it's going to be the unit. And the main reason for that is that the construction cost per square meter is higher within a unit, so it actually costs a little bit more to build in a confined space than a than a larger property because you've got more sort of open space. Whereas your percentage of wet areas, like the bathroom, for example, is higher as a percentage of the total area, and bathrooms cost more to build than say bedrooms. But the main the main key difference is that you own a share of the common areas when you own a unit in a strata title development. So. When I talked about my crazy example of the cinemas and pools and that sort of stuff, there's not a lot of of complexes that have cinema rooms in them, but there are certainly lots of high-rise apartments that have one and 200 units and they might have a couple of different lifts and they've got a couple of levels of, of basement and they will have a gym or a pool or something like that. If there's 100 units, then you'll roughly own one one-hundredth of the lift and the pool and the gym and that sort of thing. That's the reason why the deductions are higher because not only do you get the unit itself, but you get your percentage ownership of the common areas. Yeah, understood. And I guess that's um, it comes down to, you know, understanding why you're investing in property. And I know a lot of uh, property investors that do go for the units here in Brisbane are chasing a higher cash flow type of strategy. Um, again, you've got to weigh that up versus the long-term capital growth. And I've just picked two suburbs in Brisbane and looked at the um, the 10-year growth according to CoreLogic in the unit market. Brisbane CBD, it's actually declined in value if we look at the median value over the last 10 years, negative 1.7% growth. So property investors may have had some good depreciation benefits um, and some good income 
from which they do get taxed on on a year-by-year basis, but they've had negative capital growth. And one other suburb that I've looked at is West End. Again, another area where there's been a lot of higher density unit development, um, potentially some good tax depreciation benefits in some of those products for property investors, but negative 9% um, 10-year median capital growth. So again, something that investors need to be aware of um, if they are looking to, you know, purchase a unit and and then understand the location and not rely purely on the tax depreciation benefits. Um, obviously, you've completed some study, uh, Mike, which I do want to take a little bit more of a deep dive into uh, shortly, the 1000 Assets Report Study. And what that showed as one of the trending results was that there's been an increase from investors in buying brand new assets. Is that a trend that's been consistent across all states? Yeah, fa- fairly well. We're, we're seeing people move much more into to new property, which which for, for the reasons that you mentioned before is a little bit of a concern. I think that the government needs to be a little bit careful with what they're incentivizing because there's now much more of an incentive to buy a brand new property. And often new property is where you'll find the spruikers hanging out rather than, than an established property. Um, I get emails from, from time to time saying, you know, place one of your investors in our apartment and you'll earn X, Y, Z. The money's never enough for me, but for many people, you can build quite a big business on it. Um, But yeah, we're we're seeing 49.6% of people bought a brand new property in the last 12 months. Um, So new property is certainly popular with investors. Yeah, that's fascinating. And um, it is a trend that is alarming. And look, you, you and I both, Mike, we also get emails consistently uh, from property developers and builders wanting us to recommend brand new investment stock uh, to our buyers. Now, of course, we're completely independent and we would never accept hidden commissions to offload developers' stock, but it's something that purchases of uh, brand new properties need to be aware of, um, that there are hidden commissions that are built into those purchase costs. But I guess moving on from that, and when you mentioned the government stimulus that's been available, this time the government has also provided some stimulus, um, albeit uh, with some restriction to those that can access it based on incomes, but they've allowed people that are home buyers, and I know they're not investors, but home buyers to potentially um, renovate their property, which you know hopefully will stimulate some home building activity. But when we look at an investment perspective and those that purchase a property and then renovate the property, with those recent um, changes to depreciation laws, there's benefits to property investors in approaching a strategy like that. Would you agree, Mike? Yeah, absolutely. And if you think of places like Melbourne, for example, you're your quintessential sort of Melbourne street is very wide and then you have the beautiful terraced houses which in many of the suburbs are you know one and two million dollars plus. Now many of these properties are built in the 1920s or 30s but often we'll see higher depreciation deductions than brand new project homes because people are purchasing the properties and they're spending two or three hundred thousand dollars on renovations and you know the construction cost of a brand new house you know you can get a house for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars these days depending on on where you are of course so yeah there's there's certainly depreciation deductions available to establish properties and by renovating the property as long as you're renovating and renting it out straight away you're not then occupying the property then you'll be able to claim all those plant and equipment items. That's that's the only other way 
outside of buying a brand new property that you can get those juicy plant and equipment deductions. And they're really important because they all depreciate at different rates. So the building structure is two and a half percent, but then your plant and equipment like carpet, it depreciates at 25%. So they're, they're much higher depreciation rates. So even though the plant and equipment total within a building might only be 20 or 30 grand and the structure itself is 20, uh, is say 250, they're still going to punch sort of side by side from a total deduction point of view for the first couple of years because of those higher rates. So, Mike, I, obviously my background is, is building um, and we've, we've done some renovations ourselves. We've built new, um, we've done some unit developments, that type of thing. We give recommendations to some of our clients to help them to manufacture equity. So when we look at properties up here, we, we look at types of things they can do to improve the property, the value of the property, get a better tenant, that type of thing. Can you, can you sort of simplify it, I guess, for things that we could probably look at for recommendations that, that they, they could actually benefit from? Is it simple things like some painting, some floor coverings, air conditioning, or is it the kitchens, the bathrooms, you know, externally landscaping, all those types of things? What would your recommendations be for a top three or a top five, for example? Yeah, I guess there's there's two different things at, at play here. There's what's going to give you the best sort of bang for buck if you're wanting to increase the value of either the, the house if you're wanting to revalue it or the value of what you can get in rent. And then there's the depreciation side of things. But often they go hand in hand. A, a good example of when they don't is paint, for example. So paint, we all sort of know, is a pretty easy way to increase the, the, the appeal and the livability of the property, but it only has a 2.5% depreciation rate. Um, but again, you shouldn't do everything just because of depreciation. But if you are thinking of what else to do, I would be looking at the areas where you can get the best bang for your buck from a depreciation point of view. And to give you an example, kitchens are better than bathrooms. The reason why is because a kitchen will have more plant and equipment items in general than a, than a bathroom does. So in a bathroom, you might have some bathroom accessories like the toilet seat. You might have an exhaust fan. You might have a heated towel rail or a spa bath if it's if it's particularly fancy. That's really all the plant and equipment items that you would see. And normally, it's just kind of like a toilet and an exhaust fan. The rest of it's tile, shower screen, cabinets, and they're all a 2.5% depreciation rate. Whereas with a kitchen, You've got a cooktop, you've got an oven, you've got a range hood, or you might have a stove and a range hood. You're likely going to have some lighting as well. And if the floor is floating timber, then you'll be able to claim deductions for that as a plant and equipment item. So kitchens are normally better from a depreciation point of view than a bathroom. The other one is, is the floor coverings itself. So I mentioned floating timber. It's a plant and equipment item. And carpet is a plant and equipment item with an eight-year effective life. So that means... Uh, it's a 25% depreciation rate, whereas tiles is a 2.5% depreciation rate. So tiles are considered part of the structure. So plant and equipment floor coverings are carpet, floating timber and vinyl. But if you've got, say, timber floorboards or polished concrete or tiling, you're only getting a 2.5% depreciation rate. So when you think strategically about the floor covering, you might you might sort of say, oh, look, I'd rather tile, but I don't really care if it's carpet in the bedrooms. If, you, if you're sort of up in the air, you're much better off putting carpet in there because of the higher depreciation rate. If it's tiles, you've got to wait 40 years to get your full deductions back. 
Oh, okay. That's actually I didn't I didn't know that to be honest. That's really interesting, and and that will help me from my side of it going forward with my clients. Um, I guess we'll be doing kitchen renovations and putting new floor coverings everywhere to start with. Carpet in the kitchen, just imagine yeah. the stains. I think the we- good thing, the good thing about that is that you know those items you've identified being kitchens, bathrooms, floor coverings, they are the items that actually do add the most value as well in terms of you know getting the most capital appreciation for the dollar spend. So you know it's really good to know that um, those sorts of things also come with the highest uh, depreciation benefits as well because you know obviously investment strategy should align with um, the tax strategy and and also finance strategy in this instance but it's it's good to know and we're able to recommend those sorts of things to clients as well can i just ask here in queensland obviously we've got the queenslander homes where a lot of people you know will lift and do a significant renovation to build in under um, the idea of a scrapping schedule, is that still something that people do these days? I know from a development perspective, we would always um, get the quantity surveyors to come in and uh, complete a scrapping schedule. Can you help our listeners understand what is a scrapping schedule and when would they use that? Yeah, a scrapping schedule is basically a report showing the assets in the property that you are throwing out. So a depreciation schedule and a scrapping schedule are actually the exact same thing. It was just a bit of clever marketing from a quantity surveying firm to say that you need a scrapping schedule and then a depreciation schedule. Technically, you can actually put it all together in the one thing. So it's got a bit of a fancy name. And I've got to say, it took off. The amount of people that know about scrapping schedules is really crazy. And I get questions about it a lot. So the the rules were that let's say you bought a property that was built in, let's say, 2005. You rented it out for a couple of years and you decided that you're not going to be able to get the best rental for it with the current carpet and blinds. So I'm getting a quantity surveyor and they're saying that the carpet is worth X and the blinds are worth Y. Then at the point where those items are removed, you can claim 100% of the residual value. So maybe when you first got the property, the depreciation schedule said there were three and a half grand worth of carpet. And when you chucked it out, there was $800 left. You actually get an $800 immediate deduction when you throw that away. So that was the power of a scrapping schedule. And that's how it worked. Just that immediate deduction made it very, very beneficial. But Unfortunately, scrapping schedules are dying a slow death by virtue of the depreciation changes in May 2017. So you actually have to be eligible to claim the plant and equipment items to begin with. So if you think about if you buy a property, let's say, again, built in 2005, you rent it out for a bit and then you want to chuck stuff away. If you bought a property that wasn't brand new, you had no entitlement to claim the plant and equipment items to begin with. So the only way you can claim scrapping is if you throw away an asset that you bought as part of a brand new build or that you put in as a reno. And that likely means these have got to be properties that you've held for you know five or ten years at least I would assume so we're not going to probably see much scrapping compared to what we did in the past yeah that's that's good good advice and um, a good tip there because obviously when there's changes in um, some of these tax laws we need to keep up with those and make sure that um, you know we understand what can and cannot be used to our benefit as property investors. What about backdating um, some depreciation claims? I know I've heard you speak in the past about, you know, clients that don't have the um, the depreciation schedules completed and then, you know, how long can they actually back claim if they haven't already done that for their investment property? 
these these things just have me tossing and turning in bed last night. This the idea of their unclaimed deductions, and honestly, I've come across a, a few that just put hair on my hairs. One example was a lady that bought a unit off the plan, and it was sixteen years in the past when she contacted us. Uh, sorry, that sounds like t- time travel. She contacted us, say today, but she bought it sixteen years ago, brand new. She'd never claimed any depreciation deductions. Um, so with back under normal circumstances, you can back claim two financial years. So you can say to your accountant, I'd like to amend my previous two years uh, financial returns. There would likely be a fee from the accountant to do that, but you can at least go back and access those deductions. So that lady did get quite a, a lump sum, but she missed out on potentially 14 years worth of depreciation deductions, which is around about 65 grand. So Depending on her marginal rate, that could easily have been twenty thousand dollars gone from her back pocket. Uh, so a bit of a bit of a sad story. And and what we've found with our data, we we analysed a sample of a thousand. Uh, property investors that came to us. So they came through our doors. So they had enough education to get to us in the first place. And there's plenty of people that still haven't heard about it. But we found that 6.7% of that sample waited so long that they did miss out on on deductions. So So more than the two years. The average amount that they missed out on was $20,537. That's a big chunk of change. And I think we put a, a bit of a clickbait um, article on News Corp about that. It works out to be about $2.88 billion in missed deductions if you s- extrapolate that across all property investors, which I think is probably reasonable. Yeah, it's scary to think that there's that much money left on the table effectively that people aren't, you know, claiming as as a tax deductible, you know, item and and it comes down to understanding property investment and surrounding yourself with a team of professionals that can help you understand what to do to ensure that you're positioning yourself for the best possible outcome. So, you know, it's scary to think that there's that, that much money left on the table. Yeah, and um like just another thing on Brisbane specifically, um, different types of styles of homes. And we often talk about uh, a lot of the houses up here are tin and timber when you get closer, obviously, to the CBD. Is there anything that's really different between what you can claim for a Brisbane home, for example, to anywhere else? Not not really. I mean, it is quite sort of quintessentially Brisbaneian, for want of a better expression, when you, when Melinda was talking before about you know sort of the lifting the properties, you know putting them on sort of stilts to floodproof them. I mean, there's quite a lot of expense in doing that. Um, and even if you haven't done that yourself, if the previous owner has done that, then you can actually claim the deductions based on that. So that's probably like the standout one. Obviously, in in Queensland, there's probably going to be a little bit more air conditioning than you would see in other places, but Essentially, buildings are all the same. They have different styles. They have different construction costs. And the cost to build a property in Brisbane is different to Melbourne. And by the same token, the cost to build a property in the Gold Coast is different to Brisbane as well. So, no, really, there's there's some subtle changes to the to the architecture. And, and if there are major improvements where people are, are, are lifting their houses or, or adding a second story, then there's a real bonus there. But apart from that, the construction uh, costs are, are relatively similar across the country. Um, look, we've Mike, we've we've obviously used you guys before. Um, we know how to get in touch. Um, how, if people need your help, how, what's the best way for them to get in touch? 
Yeah, they can go to our website, which is just MCGQS. So if you think of the Melbourne Cricket Ground and add QS for quantity surveyors, you're you're halfway there. Um, you can Google uh, my name. It's uh, it's easy to spell. It's just difficult to pronounce. And um, I'm always happy to help if anyone's got any questions. I mean, we do free depreciation estimates because part of our due diligence is to say, okay, well, let's have a look at what you've got. And if there's value, we'll recommend a schedule. And if there's not, we'll say so and we'll tell you why and hopefully educate you with enough knowledge that you can sort of pick it for the next one, whether it's going to be worthwhile. So, yeah, more than happy to have a chat to anybody. Perfect. And yeah, look, highly recommend it. We we always do. So I always recommend that to our clients and um, to anyone listening. So um, look, that's it from probably from me. I'll, um, I can wrap it up. And thanks very much, Mike, for, for having a chat. Um, I'll pass it over to Melinda now to, to wrap things up. So um, until next time, take care and bye for now. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Mike, thank you. I think that you've unpacked some gold there. And I think importantly for anyone that's tuning in that is a property investor that has not already investigated whether they need or should have a property depreciation schedule, get in contact with Mike Mortlock at um, MCG Quantity Surveyors. Um, It's only a phone call to find out whether you need the service. Mike, thank you for your time. Much appreciated. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much and uh, happy tax time. Thank you. And it's been great chatting to you all again today. Uh, We look forward to coming to you again. Don't forget to share this podcast with your friends and family. Leave us um, a comment. um, Give us a five-star review if you like. And most importantly, happy property investing and we'll see you again soon. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.